praise you, Lord. Friends, aren't you glad that God is able? We serve the living God this morning. Let's continue to praise him. Come on.
Our God is able. Well, let's lift the praise to him this morning. Our God is able. Amen. You guys may be seated. Well, good morning, Cypress Bible Church. Good morning to each of you who are with us here in person this morning, and uh, good morning as well to those of you joining us online right now. We are glad that we are all together as one body of believers this morning to worship God together. Well, we'll start our worship in just a moment, but first of all, we want to give you just a couple updates about things that are going on here at Cypress Bible Church, particularly our two initiatives with VBS. You know, Vacation Bible School has been going on for about four weeks now, and this week is the fifth and final week of VBS, and as part of that, we've had two initiatives. The first one, uh, we set a goal to raise $3,500 to help build a community center in Motherwell, South Africa, and I am pleased to tell you that as, as of just a few days ago, ago when we last reported, we are just short of that goal by $313.13. Praise the Lord. We've collected over $3,000 so far. So we've got about eight days left on that initiative, and we would love for you to be involved with uh, helping us meet that goal, even if you're not part of VBS, if you don't have any elementary uh, 
kids who are participating in that. You can still be a part of this. Uh, just stop by the VBS table in the comments today, and uh, we can tell you how to make that donation, and we would be grateful for that. And then secondly, the second initiative that's been part of VBS is our goal to raise 2,020 individual items for Cypress Assistance Ministries. This has been going on for some time. You may have noticed the trailer that we have parked out in front of the church, and we are trying to fill that trailer. We're going to give all those donated food items and toiletry items to Cypress Assistance Ministries, and we have eight days left on that. And I am told that of our goal of 2,020 items, um, we are short now just 427 items which sounds like a lot, but it's really not. Because remember, we're counting individual items. So if you bring 10 boxes of macaroni and cheese, that counts as 10 items. Uh, and so we, we feel confident we can reach that goal, and we would love for you to be a part of that. If you'd like to be part of that, the trailer will be open today until 4 o'clock. Uh, it's also open this week and again next Sunday. Uh, and if you would like a specific list of items that, we, um, are, are, that are needed for that, we encourage you to stop by again the VBS table, and we can give you that list. Well, with that said, let's take a moment this morning and prepare our hearts for worship. And we do that by meditating for a moment on what is true, what is true about God and what is true about salvation. And consider with me, if you will, this morning, these verses from Matthew chapter 21. When they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, go into the village opposite you. And immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them and brought the donkey and the colt and laid their coats on them. And he sat on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. The crowds going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna means God save now or God please save us. And indeed this morning as we prepare to worship, we remember that God has indeed saved us. For all those whose trust is in Jesus Christ alone, God has saved us from the penalty of sin. And not only that, he saves us from the power of sin, by the power of his indwelling Holy Spirit. As we become more like Jesus, he saves us from the power of sin. And one day, he will save us from the very presence of sin. Past, present, future, when we understand all that God does in salvation as revealed in Scripture, we can join together with the writer of Hebrews as we declare so great salvation. You see, our salvation is great because our God is great. And so this morning, we remember that God is all-powerful, all-wise. He is all-knowing, and his love will never fail. And so, CBC, this morning, with that truth in our hearts and our minds focused on him, let us join together as we raise our voices and join those voices from just outside Jerusalem nearly 2,000 years ago as we sing together with them, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Let's stand together. Praises rising, eyes are turning to you. We turn to you. Hope is stirring. Hearts are yearning for you. 
Lord, please save now this plea to save us, Lord. There's only one who can save. There's only one who is holy. The one who has called you is holy. Hear these words from 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 15 through 16. You'll see the words up on the screen. It says, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Friends, he is the only one worthy to be called holy, to be set apart. He alone is holy. We read these words in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 2, that says, There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Can we continue to lift our voices as we proclaim the one who is holy? Lift up his holiness. Praise the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Sing these words with us as we lift our praise to the Lord.
three persons, blessed Trinity. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. And we're here today to talk to you about God and what He's done in our lives in the last year. It's been quite a uh, interesting year in the Pruitt household. For those of you who have known me for a while, a year ago you would have seen me with a full head of hair and no facial hair. And so you might ask, well, gosh, John, why are you now uh, you know, basically bald with a beard? And there's a lot that goes into that. Uh, back in July of last year, uh, we were having an annual family vacation, and I was experiencing some extreme pain in my abdomen. And I went to the, my family doctor, and uh, much to my surprise, I thought I might have a slight gallbladder issue. He said, I need you to go to the emergency room and stat and get a CAT scan. And so it was from there we started the journey with cancer. Uh, we found that I had stage 3B on an oxygen and uh, it was uh, it was a shock, and it caused uh, what ensued the tremendous showing of God's grace and, and miracles in our life. But at the same time, we moved um, to from um, Lexington to Kentucky. His mother is ninety, and his father ninety-five. Um, thought they were going into a living situation where transportation and meals would all be provided, but that um, ended up not being the case after 24 hours, and we had to hustle and find um, a place near us where they could live, and then we could help them out. And so, uh, so with my parents in town, which was quite a blessing, um, we, we had the added um, challenge of dealing with the cancer uh, that was very aggressive and I immediately started chemo. Um, I went nine, excuse me, eight rounds of those adjusted our EPOC uh, chemo for those of you that know about that world of chemotherapy and, um, and it came through it uh, in December and uh, through the grace of God and through tremendous amount of prayers uh, we, were, we were just showered with prayers and um, just incredibly blessed uh, through um, my wife. I found out she was quite the writer on Caring Bridge. Um, and we had people from Cyber uh, Bible Training Wars, people from my um, sisters' uh, churches in Alabama and Kansas Training Wars. And we were just covered by prayer. We, we felt it. And it was manifest also in the healing that I experienced. Uh, which was which was amazing, and uh, around uh, December, uh, right when I finished my chemo, my mom uh, has additional health challenges. Uh, John's mom has taken several calls um, since she's been here, and um, several of them have required hospitalization and rehab. Um, it was a blessing that I was able to go to the hospital and do some of that stuff while John was unable to get in that situation because of his community uh, at the time. Um, in December, John's father was hospitalized and learned that he had chronic congestive heart failure. Um, he had another bout of it in March and unfortunately um, 
we found out too late, and he was just really tossed to scare. John's father passed away May 1st. Um, John's mother went into a memory care facility. Um, I remained there, but we have not been able to be with her um, during this COVID time. We see uh, that she has mentioned that she probably already had that before they moved here, but uh, that it has rapidly escalated and her decline is hard to watch. But through it all, God's grace was evident and prevalent. And uh, my parents were certainly blessed with, with a friendship with the next door neighbor, um, Doug and Beverly. Uh, Doug was a retired Baptist pastor, and he and my dad quickly bonded. My dad and mom were both believers, and uh, it was just wonderful to see in the brief period they had with them that they could become such good friends with them. And Doug ended up officiating in my dad's service when he passed. Uh, and, and through all this, again, God showed His grace and mercy to us, and uh, and I think we're what we, we've learned so much uh, that this probably can't be said in the span of this brief video. But we learned the power of prayer. We learned the grace of God it is real and it is present in our lives, and we just learned that uh, that we are we are His servants and we are uh, here for Him. Uh, subsequent to my father's passing in May, uh, there was a nodule in my right lower lobe of my lung that they knew was there all along for the head scans by non-Hodgkin's, and they became increasingly suspicious of it. So, uh, last month, uh, in June, they, they took out the lower right lobe of my lung, and then they found that I had an endocrine carcinoid which is another form of cancer, completely different than non-Hodgkin's. But, but the blessing is they got it all, and I didn't have to have any follow-up chemo or radiation. So in the span of a, a brief year, I had two forms of cancer, and, uh, and currently uh, there's no evidence of disease in my body, so I'm very blessed, incredibly blessed with that. Um, and my mom has actually, uh, given her condition, yeah, she's doing okay, and uh, it does pain us not to be able to give her a hug and, and see her in person, but uh, she's maintaining and she's in a very good facility, and we have uh, the additional blessing of uh, the manager of the facility happens to be a believer and actually a member of our church, so that's, a, that's an added bonus. And so, uh, we saw that. In so, so many details, um, John was able to do his chemotherapy, which is pretty rigid uh, type treatments. Um, many people have to go to the hospital every release for a week at a time to have the uh, drugs introduced to your body that our clinic and our oncologist, who we think is fantastic at that, for sure, um, was able to uh, have John come in one day during that cycle. And then he wore a pump for four days um, for the drugs to be abused over a 96 hour period. But by that, he was sleeping at home. Um, we were together, and he was actually able to work through most of it. And the key verse for me comes out of the book of Philippians. It's where it talks about through Christ, uh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So none of this uh, that we've been through, that we've uh, survived and really thrive through, uh, maybe not thrive physically, but certainly thrive spiritually, it has been through Christ and uh, our Redeemer. And to Him we give all praise and glory.
Amen. Amen. Love Love y'all. Praise the Lord for all he is, all he does, and continues to do. Amen. Let's stand together as we continue to lift our praise to Jesus, the Messiah.
and he is God with us. Emmanuel, the rescue for sinners, the ransom from heaven, Jesus Messiah.
Earth has no sorrow the heaven can heal. Earth has no sorrow the heaven can heal. So lay down your Good morning, everyone. Uh, glad you all are here today. Uh, as Nathan said earlier, we are just wrapped up our fourth week of VBS, and we've got one more to go. And so we are really uh, excited for what God has been doing and what he's yet to do in the lives of the kids who have been uh, part of our VBS. We know that we have some here. We've got 123 registered, but we also know that God is using the online portion to reach kids in other states and other countries, um, people that are watching or getting packets uh, sent by grandmas and grandpas. Uh, and so we're just so glad that we still get to uh, share the good news of Jesus with others. Now, this week, our theme was trust the evidence. And so we've got a picture up here, and I want you to imagine that you just got home, and uh, you, you look over at the living room, and you see this mess, and just admit, look at this evidence. Try to figure out maybe who made the mess. Let's look at all the evidence. Okay, so we've got lots and lots of ripped up cushions and fluffing and and is that a tennis ball there? Okay, so just in your head, tell me who you think made the mess. Okay, you figured it out? Figured it out. Let's see the reveal. Who made the mess? Oh, it was a puppy. Who thought they, who got that right? Okay, all right. So if you're watching at home, I bet you got that right as well. Okay, let's, let's try another one. Um, let's go ahead and go to the next picture. Who made the mess here? Now, this one's a little tougher. There's a bunch of chocolate syrup, so hopefully it wasn't a dog this time. Um, I think there's maybe, a, is it a bunched up towel of somebody that tried to clean it up? And are those handprints on the wall? Okay, so think about who do you think made the mess? Examine the evidence. Let's trust the evidence. And let's see who made the mess. Uh-huh. Okay. All right. So uh, anyone guess a kid? Anybody? Did anybody think mom made the mess? <laughs> um, so we got to look at the evidence. And that's what we're talking about today. That, you know what? There are situations where sometimes we don't always get to see uh, what has happened. Um, in those pictures, we didn't see the full picture. We didn't see the culprit. We didn't see who made the mess. But we could look at the evidence enough to figure out who made the mess. Um, and so just like that, today we have questions. And we don't get the full picture of what's going on in our world. And we know that our world is broken. And we look around, and one of the biggest questions that we talked about this week is the question, does God love me? And that's a question that we want to believe yes, but what is the evidence what is the truth? Um, as we look around at our world and we get accusations of people that don't like us, or as we get fears in our heart and we wonder, does God really love me? 
And so what we want to do is we want to look at the evidence. And so that we trust the evidence, and the evidence is shown in Jesus. Uh, we see Jesus' death on the cross to pay for our sins, to take our punishment so that we wouldn't have to die and be separated from God. When we ask God, God, how much do you love me? He answered, this much. And so when we look at the question, does God love me? We know that the answer is yes. God does love me. God does love you. God does love you. And he loved you so much that he died on a cross to pay for our sins, and he rose up from the dead so that he could give us the gift of eternal life for all who trust in him. So as we talk about the good news of what Jesus did, we know that his work is finished, that he has paid the cost, but we still have to make that decision. Every day we make decisions of trust. I trusted that this stage wasn't going to collapse on me when I walked up here. You trusted that those pews weren't going to fall down. You're trusting when you're sitting at home, you're trusting that the Wi-Fi is going to work and you're going to watch the service. Um, we trust things every day, and ultimately we have a choice. Do we trust that God loves us? Because that decision we make will affect all our life, the way we live, the way we reach out to others, the way that we share the good news with others, the way that we give with our money or our offerings. You know, we get to help the community of Cyprus and people in South Africa know that God loves them by providing needs, providing things for them. So we all have a choice to make. Do you trust that God loves you? Do you trust that God loves you? Because he does. And that love can change your life. God showed his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He showed his love for us on the cross. Let's sing together at the cross. We stand together. There's a place where mercy reigns and never dies. There's a place where streams of grace flow deep and wide. Where all the love I've ever found comes like a flood, comes flowing down. At the cross, at the cross, I surrender my life. I'm in all you. I'm in all you. Where your love ran red and my sin washed white, I owe. Yeah.
Well, good morning. It's good to see you again. We're going to be picking up on the theme of the message last week. We learned about the publican and the Pharisee and their prayers. And we're going to kind of pick up on that theme. Our sermon title today is The Insignificant Path of the Gospel. And we see in the Gospel that it's an upside-down world. Uh, When Jesus says in the Beatitudes, Blessed are the mourners, the meek, the merciful, the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called the sons of God. I think for most people, we say, okay, I can see how godly people are supposed to be pure. I see how they're supposed to be peacemakers. But that whole mourning and meek and merciful stuff, I'm not really sure I want to go there. And so that's why the title of this sermon, I want you to see that it's not the gospel that's insignificant. It's that we have to follow a pathway that's going to feel like it's obscure and somewhat insignificant for us. And we may have to get in touch with those parts of our own humanity for God to really have his powerful way with us. And so one of the things I'd like us to take a look at and think about is to think about when we were kids. And you were probably asked this question as a kid. And if you're a grandparent, you like to ask this of, of, of kids today. Um, what do you want to do when you grow up? Oh, there it is. And if you were like me, I wanted to be either Roberto Clemente or Terry Bradshaw. Maybe you wanted to be a teacher or a doctor or a policeman. Um, but I saw myself living the rest of my life on the field of play. And, um, and that's all I did until I was about 17 years of age. And so we all have these dreams and these aspirations. Very few people will say that they don't want to do something great. No one says, I'd like to be a janitor, a landscaper, a garbage collector. No one chooses those types of positions naturally when they're a kid. Everybody wants to have some type of significance with their career. So we seek personal glory, and um, we don't choose the way of faith. And you can see this real contrast here. There's a big difference between the way Michael Jackson lived his life and the Augustinian monk. So most likely for us, God's not calling us to be a famous rock star or calling us to the monastery. And we're going to be living somewhere in between the two. Now, here's the thing about the gospel. It will always, to a certain extent, taste like death. So here's what the Apostle Paul says. He says, my grace is sufficient for you, meaning it's really all that you need, even though you might think differently. For my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Yeah, your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. This is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And he means he's then strong because of the gospel, because it's the gospel that comes into those difficult places in our lives where we're insulted. Now, I grew up in Pittsburgh, and in Pittsburgh, insults are just like common everyday fare. And so kids used to find that fun 
to, okay, I'll help you along in the gospel. Let me insult you a little bit. I'll talk about your hairstyle or what you're wearing. So here's, what I, here's my premise. The gospel is our pathway through life. We are earthen vessels, and we have to hold on to not our own goodness, not on our moral righteousness, not on everything that we do, not because we have good attendance or something or because we give our money away or the good things because we raise nice children, because we're law-abiding citizens, whatever. We base our life on the accomplished work of Christ, His sacrifice for us. And because of that atoning work, He will work through us, not for your glory, but for His glory. And this is how we access the gospel of His glory, is through our humility and our dependence. So it gets back to that first slide, that it's the, those who mourn, those who are meek, and those who are merciful. So let's carry this. and take. What I want to do is, we're going to take this premise, this theme, and I'm going to show it how it existed in the Old Testament and how Paul brings it forward in the New Testament. This is a story that everybody knows who's gone to Sunday school as a kid, right? The story of Gideon. His name means slayer, smiter. And here's the story from Judges 6. Now, this is occurring around 1300 B.C. So it's about 150 years after the Israelites leave Egypt and were led by, by Pharaoh. And so he's hiding out afraid of these evil, terrible Midian people. So the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah. And by the way, that word there, Oprah, um, when Oprah, the famous broadcaster, producer, actress, when she was born, this was the name her parents gave her, but the nurse didn't put the first H down, and she became Oprah. And so he sat down, but it belonged to Joash the Abezerite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Uh, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of the Midian. Okay, these are not the words of a strong, faithful man in response to meeting an angel. Matter of fact, what he's doing is he's blaming God for all of their troubles. Okay? Have you ever blamed God for the difficulties, the insults, the persecutions in your life? That's what he's doing. He, and he's living in obscurity. And here's why he's living in obscurity. When you go to thresh wheat, you can see that on your left, you go to a high mountaintop where there's always wind, and you, you throw the um, chaff up into the wind, it blows away the chaff, and you're left with the kernels from the wheat on the ground. You scoop that up, you take it to the mill, you grind it, you got flour. But you do it out in an exposed place where everyone can see you. But you see, coming up the Jezreel Valley is 135,000 Midianites wanting to steal everything they have. So he's hiding down in a wine press, which is e usually in a lower elevation area below the plains of the valley. And, and it's hewn in rock, and there's usually a covering for it. And so he's down there performing duties in a place 
that you shouldn't be. And everybody who works with any kind of tools or does any kind of work with their hands know that you have to have the right tool to do the job right. Well, he's using the wrong tools, essentially, because he's living in obscurity. He feels insignificant. And so here's my question to you. This comes from Brennan Manning's book he wrote back 25 years ago called Abba's Child. And he asked this question, and when I read it, it stopped me in my tracks. He says, how are you doing with your obscurity? And if you are truly honest with yourself, you feel like your life to some extent is insignificant and obscure. And that's called being human. But God glorifies himself in those who accept worldly obscurity and insignificance while they boast in God's grace. Paul writes, he says in 1 Corinthians not many of you were wise or influential or of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things. Oh, okay, so he just called us foolish there, right? Because he chose me. Okay, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise so that no one may boast. You are in Christ Jesus who has become for us the wisdom from God, our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. You see, in the gospel of Jesus, if you want to live after Christ and for Christ and experience his gospel and to experience his goodness, it's not about you. He is the one who brings you right standing before God. He is the one who makes you holy in the presence of God. He is the one who redeems your soul and gives you eternal life. So your life is all about him. Now, you see this spinster up on the screen? That's Harriet, Henrietta Mears. She looks like my grandmother. This is a picture of her circa 1930 or so. And when I say she's a spinster, she lived with her sister. She had health problems, but she got this Christian church job being the director of Christian education at this Presbyterian church in Hollywood in the mid-1920s. And all three of these men listed here, in my opinion, and not just my opinion, but many opinions of, of, of many people who have studied the church in the 20th century, these three men are, were, the greatest evangelists of North America. Billy Graham preached to a hundred million people. Bill Bright came up with a gospel track called The Four Spiritual Laws that at the time of his death in 2003 had 2.5 billion copies printed. Campus Crusade for Christ is in every country of the world with 25,000 people working for him or working for Crusade. Jim Rayburn started Young Life, clearly the largest camp, high school ministry in the world, over a hundred countries. They take a half a million kids every year to their 20-plus camps. I came to Christ because of Young Life. God used an obscure spinster. Back in the 1920s, if you were a single unmarried woman, you were obscure and insignificant. Who does God use to teach the Bible to the three greatest evangelists of the 20th century? Now, if I was making that decision, I would have had them all three be trained by B.B. Warfield, who is clearly the greatest theologian of the time, and he was in Princeton, New Jersey. 
But you see, God's economy is not ours. His wisdom and who he uses exceeds all rational thought because God has a marvelous plan and he wants you to be a part of it. So here's Gideon, the girly man, and his girly man clan. The Lord turned to him and said, now this is an interesting change in the narrative. It's no longer the angel of the Lord speaking to him. And if you really read the text, he's probably feeling the Lord speaking to him internally, that God's not there in a vision like the angel was, that that, that this is how the conversation is going in, in in his conscious. The Lord turned to him and said, God, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. I, am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. So he is giving the 99-pound weakling argument to the Lord. Okay, this is Charles Atlas. If you live back in the 50s, this used to be a, a, a common theme, and uh, you just needed to you know, go to the gym and lift weights. Um, you see, he is obscure. He knows that he's insignificant. We would call him a computer geek, okay? He doesn't think he's up for the Lord's task. He fears these marauding men and, uh, Midianites. There's 135,000 of them. You see, there's two guys riding on a camel, probably 70,000 camels, and every year they come up the Jezreel Valley and they just plunder They're not trying to really kill people, but they're scary. And he says to the Lord, he says, the Lord says to him, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon replied, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that this is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. So, Gideon here wants to bring a sacrifice to the Lord. And, um, and the Lord's willing to wait for it. Um, and so the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread, and the tip of the staff that was, was in his hand, fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord! I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord and called it there, The Lord is peace. Okay, so why the sacrifice? Okay, one, it's customary to give food to a guest. But down there at the bottom, there's way too many words on this screen. I get that. But down at the bottom, God taught Gideon that it was his inadequacy, but God's adequacy that really counted. God was going to be his adequacy. And you need to embrace that. That as you live your life for Christ, God will be your adequacy. That you do not have to be adequate for the task that he calls you to. Gideon's heroism is a product of his nat- not of his natural makeup, but the outcome of his transforming spiritual experience. Why a sacrifice? We see in the New Testament, for Christ our Passover also has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast, not with the old leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Okay, so 
Sin is what keeps us bef- between, from, from God, and we don't have peace unless there's a, an atoning sacrifice that brings peace from God. Christ is that sacrifice, and he proves that God loves us and accepts us. So here's the battle now. God wants us where we can say there's no way this thing can work unless God moves. And you can see the pathway there of the the Midianites. And they actually think that the Midianites are the present-day Bedouins, okay? That when you hear about the Bedouins who who still live um, in the tents and with camels and all that today, that they're traced back to these, these actual Midians. Now, he's outnumbered 450 to 1, but the whole trumpet thing, remember the trumpets is symbolic of the presence of God and the oil in their lamps is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. The Midianites are going to think that they're actually outnumbered two or three to one. So a vision comes in a dream. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and he worshiped. Notice here, God moves when his people worships him. When you set out to serve the Lord each and every day in any endeavor in life, stop first and worship him. So he returned to the camp and he called out, Get up! The Lord has given the Midian camp into your hands. Dividing 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. Watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp, blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Okay, now, if you're one of the 300, you were originally part of 32,000. You're going up against, really, the Nazi panzers of the day, these marauding camels okay, 70,000 of them. There's only 300 of you, and your commander's giving you a torch and a trumpet and a pot and some oil. And his battle plan to you is, hey, watch me do what I do. Here, we're going to beat them with this. <laughs> okay, this is, this is hilarious. This is why it's from the Lord. They blew their trumpets, broke the jars. The three companies blew their trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow. They shouted, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords." The most brilliant military strategy ever devised by a military general. Get your enemy to kill themselves. You lose no men, and you require no funds to build up your weaponry. You see, the Midianites didn't all speak the same language. They saw the, 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 they heard the trumpets, and they, heard, they saw the, um, the torches, they thought for all 300 trumpets and torches, there were 100 men. They thought they were, they were going to be swarmed and killed in the night. And so they all panicked. They all grabbed their swords. They didn't know who was a Midianite and who was an Israelite. And so one clan killed the other clan. 
This was entirely of the Lord. Gideon was an insignificant man leading an insignificant army with an insignificant weapons. Guess what, folks? The church of Jesus Christ is still an insignificant collection of people that form the Christian army, and we have insignificant weapons. Our weapons are love and prayer and good works to our fellow man. Doesn't seem like we're going to take over the world, does it? But if you study church history, you will see how the Lord has taken over empires multiple times, and He's captured the hearts of many people groups, and He continues to do so. Even though we are considered as sheep for the slaughter, yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who has loved us. Do you view yourself as a sheep for the slaughter? Do you view yourself as a conqueror because of Christ and His atoning sacrifice on your behalf? You see, Paul then explains this Old Testament story through the New Testament lens of the sacrifice of Jesus. He says, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. You see, he's wanting us all to be crackpots, just like Gideon had his crack pots, and they had to crack those pots to let the light of God shine forth. That the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Remember that earlier screen I said the gospel always tastes a little like death, and I had a picture of Washington at Valley Forge. If it wasn't for Valley Forge, we never would have won the Revolutionary War against the Brits. They had to be at the lowest point possible. Gideon never would have won the battle if he wasn't at his lowest point possible. You, on the other hand, I don't know how you view yourself. You may be like the Pharisee and think too highly of yourself. You might be um, someone who looks down on yourself. Maybe you have low self-esteem. Maybe you like to beat yourself up. Maybe you live in a world of constant regret and you never feel good about yourself. Maybe you're depressed. But here's what the gospel teaches us. That no matter what you think about yourself, you're not thinking well enough about yourself, even if you think you're superior to everybody. Because if you're in Christ, you carry this treasure. In, I mean, Do you go through your daily life contemplating this because you should? The Bible tells us that you should think this. As you go through your daily life, are you thinking, in my mortal body, I am carrying around the death and sacrifice of my Lord Jesus Christ? That is a treasure that you carry His death with you and you also carry with you His life. You have the greatest treasure in the cosmos, in the universe. You carry it about with you. We are more than conquerors. So, But here's the thing. God wants to grab a hold of you through your life's crushing events, when you're perplexed by your human circumstances, when you're persecuted by others, when you're being struck down. This is where God gets a hold of you. Now, 
I have here, I'm the pastor over care and counseling. And in Christian ministry, and it's not so much anymore with the internet and apps, but you could validate your ministry in Christian churches by having a trifold. And this is my ministry's trifold. And I'm very proud of it. You know, we've got the nice little sayings on the front and pictures, and we've got the little vision statement on the back. And in it, we talk about all of our different ministries. And so it validates those of us who are in the ministry. And in it, you look and you say, oh, Financial Peace University. That's to help you actually live within your means, be somebody who actually ties to the Lord, and doesn't have to fear about your finances. Oh, and it's led by people who have totally messed up their life financially. And God grabbed a hold of them and their finances, and now they lead others to help others have success with their own personal finances. Oh, and there's this widow support and solo sisters. Oh, the most obscure, insignificant group of people, widows. Do you want to feel really displaced in life? become a widow. But no, because of the gospel, they're saying, no, we're more than conquerors. We're going to minister. Oh, conquering overeating. Oh, this is led by people who, I said, were, were you overweight? And they say to me, no, I wasn't overweight. I was obese. And now they're leading others through their difficulties with their eating habits. Oh, grief share. This is led by people who have suffered the loss of those who they loved who have died, and now they help walk other people through it. Then there's other ministries like AA, Celebrate Recovery, Divorce Care. Wherever your greatest hurts and pains are, I guarantee you the Lord Jesus wants to grab a hold of you there, heal you, and use you to bless others and to minister to others. You are not insignificant. The gospel is the power of God. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. For the righteous will live by faith. This is where you live by faith out of your hurt, your pain, and your affliction. The gospel is also teamwork. As we partner with them, there's, there's no little people in the economy of God. Find your place in ministry here in this church. I've read to you several places. There are so many other places that you can minister, and it's teamwork. It was teamwork for those 300 men following Gideon to defeat the Midianites. It requires teamwork. Okay, why do I show you Joe Paterno? I entered into Penn State in 1983. They were the national champs. I left Penn State in 1987. They were the national champs. Very few people get to have a college experience that's bookended by national championship. Do you, know, you don't want to know why they won the national championships those two years? Because of the Christians on their team. And the guys who are on the teams will tell you that. Yeah, they were in Bible studies. And I was in Bible studies with several of them. God works when people, they, they, they weren't the best players. Okay? But they worked as a team they felt insignificant. They felt obscure. They didn't have their names on the back of their jerseys. They didn't have little emblems on their helmets. They wore black shoes instead of white shoes. They had the plainest uniforms. They were obscure. They were insignificant. But they won two national championships. God always uses the humble. And your reward is Christ himself. 
Whatever you do in this life, Paul says, do it as unto the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Know that the Lord Jesus has a reward for you. And living by faith is the first taste of that reward. But it was an eternal reward that we will receive. This is Henry Nowen. He's one of my heroes. He, he was a Catholic priest. He was a professor of psychology at Yale. And when he was about 50 years of age, uh, he's been dead now for some time, um, he's written numerous books that I would tell you is, are immensely helpful to understand the topic that I'm addressing right there. This guy really understood the gospel. Remember, he's teaching at Yale. He's teaching the brightest minds in the world. He leaves that post for Arch in Toronto to work with those who are most severely mentally disabled. You know, this church has many families that have exceptional children. And what he said was that he would rather, he, he, he loved those years more teaching and living and administrating at Arch among those who were the least mentally capable people in the world rather than being around the most capable intellectual people at Yale. Because when he was at Arch, he felt and knew the love of Jesus more among those who were insignificant, obscure people that society places no value in. So how do we walk this insignificant path? How do we wrap this up? One, believe the gospel. Jesus Christ is the answer in your significance. He's your way. He's your truth. He's your life. God does not see you as you see yourself. He sees you in the righteousness of Christ that he has provided you through his atoning sacrifice. Second, God wants to heal our brokenness in our lives, and he wants us to lead others into similar places of healing and redemption. So follow this path. Third, serve out of your weakness in places of failure. Don't, don't, don't hide that stuff. Be honest about it. Let God use it. Your shame is his glory when it's gone through the filter of his redemption. Fourth, the gospel always teaches us to travel on paths of human significance and reveals God's glory and his gospel. You see, this is a little Asian um, Chinese proverb here. Uh, a woman went down to the river every day, filled up two pots, two clay pots. There's that clay pot theme again, with water, and she'd bring it back. The one that's in her right hand farthest from you was a perfect pot. Okay? The, one, the pot closest to you had cracks in it and it leaked. And the cracked pot complained that she wasn't as good of a pot as the perfect pot that never leaked. And the woman said, what do you notice alongside of you? And the cracked pot said, flowers. She said, precisely. I planted those seeds there and every day I have you water them so that when I have to perform my daily duties and chores of going to the water, that I can be reminded of beauty. You may be a cracked pot, but you bring joy and beauty into my life. Do you know that you're a cracked pot for the Lord and that you bring joy and beauty into the world through the gospel and that's the way he sees you? So, 
we've talked about is the band comes out. I hope they're going to come out. Um, <laughs> the, we're, we're earthen vessels that God wants to use because of Christ's atoning work. We access the power of the gospel through his humility and through, um, through our humility, he uses us. Let us stand and sing to his glory. together as we close there is love that came for us humble to a sinner's cross you broke my shame and sinfulness you rose again victorious
Lord of all. As we depart today, I'd like to remind you to wear your masks out. We've gone a little late today, so as you exit, it'll allow people to come in here and, and clean the room uh, before our next uh, service. And so go now uh, with this benediction. May the love of God the Father and the grace of the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you today and forevermore. Amen. Together now. You are good.